Wow, wasn't that powerful? Can we just give it up again one more time? Awesome. Uh, the band that led us in worship today is our student ministries band. I mean, that's pretty good right there, isn't it? Um, it's Gage Havery up here. That guitar's about big as he is. Did y'all notice that? And Carl Chapel right here. And uh, Tan Sanders over there playing the, I think he's on playing the bass, is some stringed instrument. And uh, a couple of old guys, Jerry Grantham and uh, Matt Bartlett. And uh, they're, they're, you know, Jared and Matt, they're kind of beginning to feel some of the things I was feeling with all these young guys coming up. I was just hoping there was still going to be a place for me, you know. And uh, we just thank God for what we see happening among our young people, our youth. Uh, we're not only seeing kids uh, that, uh, the age of the ones up here, but even our younger kids are having revival. Uh, our younger children are uh, just um, praying through and growing in Christ. And, and I tell you, when you take your children to our kids' ministries, it's not babysitting. We teach them. We think that's important for them to learn something. Even in the nursery, uh, we teach them little things, little songs that they can go ahead and get that word of God in them at a tender age. Y'all think that's important? I think that's pretty important. Well, um, faith should be the dominating feature in the life of every believer. If you were to ask yourself as a Christian, what dominating feature do I need in my life or, or, or what feature in my life could I focus on that would really, if I get that part healthy, it'll kind of take care of all the other parts of my Christian life. That would be faith. Work on the development of your faith. Focus on the growth and maturity of your faith in God, believing God, believing his promises, trusting him. Work on that, develop that, mature that. Do the reading that you need to do. Do the praying that you need to do. Do the fasting that you need to do. Do the serving that you need to do that is going to cause your faith to grow because when your faith in him is healthy, everything else just kind of lines up in your life. Now, why do we need so much faith? Well, God has pretty much asked us to believe in a whole bunch of stuff we can't see. And if you're gonna believe in stuff you can't see, you're gonna need a lot of faith. Um. You know, he asked me to believe in him, and I've never seen him. And he asked me to believe in his son, and I do, but I've never seen him. And he asked me to believe in the Holy Spirit, and I've never seen him either. Sure have felt him a whole lot of times, though, haven't you? And uh, like this morning, <laughs> actually, he was at my house, and when I got here, he was here. I like that about God, don't you? And... Uh, and, and really, good news for all the people out there on 70, he's with me in the car. <laughs> Amen. Coming down here. And um, he's asked me to, to, to believe in him for salvation. He's asked me to believe in him for heaven. I've never seen heaven. So many things he's asked me to believe in that I can't see. So I've got to have faith. And the Bible tells us 
And we might not like it, but it's just how it is. This walk as a Christian is by faith, not by sight. This walk as a Christian, the Bible says that faith is the evidence of things we cannot yet see. We can only hope for them, but hope is powerful. Hope is based on something. Peter says, we love him and we trust him even though we have never seen him. Our faith is not blind, though. Our faith is not foolish. Our faith has an anchor. Our faith has an anchor, and that anchor is the Word of God. Get into the Word of God. Get into the Bible. Get into the Scriptures. Some of you are are getting your Scriptures here at church only. That's like saying, I'm not going to eat any meals except on Sunday. You're going to fare pretty rough during the week. So we got to get that word in us every single day. As a matter of fact, there are some books I recommend. One of them is just a little book um, that is uh, filled with nothing but the promises of the Bible. Have you ever seen a promise Bible? It has all the promises in there. Well, see, you don't know what you can pray for unless you know what he's promised. You don't know what you can ask for. You don't even really know how to pray if you don't know what's in the Word of God. So it's important that we get in the Word of God. That's where our faith is anchored. Now, as you know, in this sermon series, we have been in the book of Mark chapter 9. Mark chapter 9. So if you have your Bible and you want to go there, we'll put the Scriptures up on the screen as well. But Mark chapter 9, verses 14 through 29, and we won't read all of that. We'll just kind of walk through it and let it unfold as we uh, teach on this. But it is one of the most dramatic scenes in the Bible. And we'll see that today. Jesus is teaching his disciples here to live by faith. They must learn to live by faith. Until now, Jesus had always been with them. They had always been able to see him. And you know, if something was going on or they were being threatened in some way or they were being questioned in some way, they always knew they could kind of turn and there was Jesus right there. And they were like, uh, you know, he'll, he'll answer that or, or he'll take care of that. So their faith was good. Their faith was healthy when they could see him. But what Jesus was telling them is there's coming a day very soon. As a matter of fact, in the book of Mark chapter 9, in just a few months, Jesus knew he wouldn't be with them anymore. He knew he was going to die on a cross. He was going to be buried in a tomb. He was going to be raised from the dead. He knew 40 days after that he would ascend into heaven and they would not be able to see him with their human eyes anymore. And he knew this would be a great challenge to their faith. So he gives them a little test to get them ready. And he takes Peter, James, and John and goes up on the mountain and we called, uh, we talked about the Mountain of uh, Transfiguration, and we've taught about that in this series a little bit, and Jesus is up there with these three New Testament characters, and two Old Testament characters show up, Moses and Elijah, so that's a whole nother sermon right there, and I would encourage you to read that, but not this morning, because I'm preaching, all right? Um, So Jesus is up there on the mountain for a short time. And while he's up there, um, his other nine disciples are down in the valley. And this father comes to them 
with a demon-possessed son. And he comes to the disciples, I believe, because he thought when he saw them, Jesus would be with them. He wasn't really bringing his child to them. He was bringing his child to Jesus. But when he gets there, Jesus isn't there. It's only nine of Jesus' disciples. And so his son is in so much trouble with this demon possession that he says to the disciples, will you help me? Will you cast this demon out of my son, this evil, unclean spirit? And the disciples tried to do it, and they couldn't do it. They couldn't set him free. They could not exercise this demon. They could not cast it out. So Jesus arrives on the scene and rebukes his disciples. Now, there's a lot of other things that happen, but we preached about that in the other uh, sermons in this series. But when Jesus arrives on the scene, he looks at his disciples and says, Oh, unbelieving generation, oh, faithless generation. I believe it's in the book of Luke where he really builds their, uh, their self-esteem and says, oh, perverted generation. And so Jesus rebukes them, and then he says something, and I don't know if this means anything to you guys, but i got to tell you something. It means something to me because he looks at that father and he says, bring the boy to me. And I just want to say what I've already said in all the other sermons in this series because I think this is one of the keys to, to what God wants you to get out of this sermon series. Listen to me. Fill in that blank for yourself. Bring the to me. What, what is it for you? Money? Finances? Job? Marriage? Maybe it is your boy. Maybe it is your girl. Maybe it is something hidden that nobody knows about but you and God, that you need to bring to him and get this thing cut out of your life. I don't know what it is. Only you know what that is. And some of you may have the attitude, well, you know what, pastor, there are some people who can bring their stuff to Jesus and he just honors them, but I think maybe I've done too many bad things and I think maybe my faith isn't very strong and I think maybe I'm not really who he was talking to. I think he was talking to somebody, but I'm not real sure he was talking to me. Listen, listen to me. He was talking to you. Bring it to Jesus. Whatever it is, fill in the blank. What is it you're holding on to? What is it that, that you're, you're just determined that you're going to possess it? You're going to deal with it. You're going to solve it. He's saying to you, bring it to me. Bring that to me. I could continue to preach on that, obviously. But let's move on. Now, apparently, this father had spent his whole life engaged in the unbelievable effort of trying to keep his son from being killed by this demon. When you read through this story, you find, as the father explains to Jesus what he's been through, that this demon has tried to throw his boy into wells and pools and, and fires. This demon has been trying to kill his son. Now, guys, I don't know the timeline on this. I, I don't know if this boy is eight or 12 or 15, but he's referred to as a boy. And I don't know if this evidence of this demon showed up when he was one or two. I've seen some two years old. Two years old, I thought maybe we needed an exorcist. But did I say that out loud? Oh, I, was just, I, I thought I was just thinking that. 
So I don't know when he started seeing um, evidence that his boy was demon-possessed, but what a life for a father to live. Let's just assume this boy is 10, 11, 12 years old. Let's assume that he showed up at the age of five. Five, six, seven years of seeing his son under the domination and power of this evil spirit and he could do nothing but hold him in his arms. The Bible says when that spirit would seize him, he would become rigid and he would foam at the mouth and grind his teeth. And all that father could do for all those years was just take him up in his arms and hold him till it passed. And he comes to Jesus. This unimaginable suffering of this boy. And can you imagine when that father is there? You know, he brought him to the disciples. The disciples couldn't do anything. The scribes are fussing because they think they've caught the disciples in a... Uh, you know, they think they're going to use this to be able to prove that all the teachings of Jesus aren't true and that Jesus is a big fake. And, and so the scribes, boy, they're just eating this up and loving this. And all of a sudden, Jesus just walks, just comes up. Love that. Sometimes in your darkest hour, he just walks in the room. Sometimes in your toughest time, and you've been praying and fasting and believing and you just don't know what to do, and you don't know where to turn, and, and, you, and you just think he hadn't even heard you pray, and then all of a sudden he just walks in. I like that. Right in the middle of suffering, Jesus showed up in this man's community. Reminds me of another critical moment in the gospel. It's in the book of John, and everything seemed hopeless, everything seemed lost. Jesus was dead. They had watched him die on a cross, and the disciples were hiding alone. Let's look at this verse in John 20, 19. It says, in the evening of that first day of the week, the disciples were gathered together with the doors locked because of their fear of the Jews. And look what it says then. Then Jesus came. I mean, they saw him die. They, they saw him say, it is finished. And they're in a room, they're all locked up, they're in there. They, they're, they're wondering, what are we going to do? Where are we going to go? How's this thing going to pan out? And all of a sudden, he just walks in. I like what the King James, I think the King James says, then came Jesus. Then came Jesus, stood among them, said to them what he always says, chill. I'm here. The word of the Lord to somebody in this house this morning is chill. I'm with you. You say, but I don't see. Yeah, but see, it's not about seeing. It's about believing. It's about trusting. You know, we're going to look at the Greek here a little bit this morning, and I'm reminded of the, the three preachers that were in Bible college. You know, that's when we think we're the smartest when we're in Bible college. I mean, when I was in Bible college, I was thinking, man, let me out of here. The world needs me. <laughs> now I'm 54 years old. I want to go back to Bible college. <laughs> and these three guys were standing around talking about the Greek, and they were in the book of Hebrews, and a lady walked up, and she was kind of an elderly lady, patted them on the back, and just said, I'm proud of you young men, and 
She said, what are y'all talking about? And they said, oh, we're talking about the Greek language. And they said, did you know that in the book of Hebrews where it says, I will never leave you or forsake you, they said, did you know that in the Greek tense, if you study that Greek tense form, that he didn't say, I'll never leave you. He said, I'll never, never, never leave you. She said, that's good. She said, it may take three times for you Greek boys, but if he'd have said it one time, that'd been enough for me. Amen. <laughs> He'll never leave you. He hasn't left you. I don't know who I'm talking to today, but I want you to hear me. He hasn't left you. You say, yeah, if you were in what I, hey, listen, he hasn't left you. Somebody needs to hear that today. He hasn't left you. You say, well, he may have because I've disappointed him. He, has, he will never leave you. But I did, he'll never leave you. But I think I broke his He'll never leave you. But I think I disappoint. He'll never leave you. He's with you. You can't run him off. You can run from him. And the Bible says he's the hound of heaven. He's stay right on your trail. <clears throat> See, when Jesus comes, doubt turns into faith. When Jesus comes, weakness becomes strength. When Jesus comes, desperation turns into hope. When Jesus comes, your mourning turns into joy. When Jesus comes, confusion becomes understanding. When Jesus comes, fear is replaced by peace. When frustration is in your life and Jesus comes, you'll feel calm. That's the thing that was so cool about Jesus to me. Stuff would be happening around him and it would be, as Jeff Foxworthy says, pandelirium. It would just be crazy and Jesus was always. I mean, this is a pretty crazy scene right here. When this father suddenly, you know, he's with the disciples, they couldn't do anything and he's frustrated and, and he wanted his boy set free, really had hope it was going to happen today and Jesus sitting there, and the disciples failed, and they're all over there huddled up talking, going, why couldn't we do this? And the scribes are going, told you, told you, told you. You guys are nothing but a big fake. And then all of a sudden, Jesus walks up. And in this father's heart, hope springs. Hope springs alive. And now Jesus begins to talk directly to this father. And he speaks to him with such tenderness and sympathy about his poor suffering son. And remember we talked about last week how he looked at that father and said, how long has this been going on? Because he wanted to hear about the suffering of the father. And that's another thing I just want to leave with you all today is I don't know what your story is, but God wants you to tell him about it. You say, I'm going through, pastor, I'm just going through pure hell. Tell him about it. Tell him you still, some of us aren't being set free from what we're going through because we're telling everybody but Jesus. Now, I've run into a few people who didn't really want to get rid of their trouble because that would give them nothing to talk about. Did I say that out loud? But he speaks with tenderness to this mother. He speaks to, he speaks with, or to this father in sympathy. 
Verse 22, the father admits that the demon's been trying to kill the boy. And then Jesus looks, and, the, and then the father looks at Jesus and says, and this is su- such a weak statement of faith, but I gotta tell you, I've prayed like this before. Before we get too judgmental on this daddy, let's remember how we felt before. He looks at Jesus and goes, if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. If? You can do anything, if you can do anything. I don't really know if you can, and I'm not sure you can heal him, but anything. I mean, if you could just... See, the father here, and this is important, I want you to get this. The father isn't saying, will you? I think the father knows Jesus will. I think the the father's struggling here with if he can. You know, a lot of times we think God can for somebody else. We just think God can't for us. Y'all been like that? Have you ever prayed for somebody and you could have all kind of faith for them, but when it came to you, you you could think of 25 reasons why he shouldn't help you. So this father, because of the way Jesus had talked to him with such sympathy and compassion, he knew Jesus could, but the father's concern is whether Jesus can or not. Now, don't go there in your Bible. Just make a note because there's a little space in your worship program for notes. But in Mark chapter 1, we back up eight chapters. In Mark chapter 1, we find the story of the cleansing of the leper. And the question there in that story was, I know you can, but I don't know you will. In this story in Mark 9, it is, I know you would if you could. I know in Mark 1, it's, I know you can if you will and in mark 9 it's i know you will if you that's important right there because sometimes we're on both ends of that spectrum now i know some of y'all are so spiritual and holy but every one of us go through this right here i love what the father says he looks at jesus and, and he says take pity on us now when when you're reading the bible and you're studying the bible and you see take pity on us you can just run right over that So, okay, he says, take pity on us and help us. What's the next verse say? Just stop right there. Look at take pity. What what was he really saying? You say, well, I don't know anything about the Greek. Listen, I'm going to tell you all something, but don't tell anybody. I failed Greek in in Bible college. I failed it. I was awesome in preaching class, though, but I failed Greek. But it's so easy to learn the Greek now, so easy to study it. Get you a Strong's Concordance. It's about this thick, but it will help you understand the deeper things of God. Now, when you come up to me and go, I just feel like I'm not growing in Jesus, I'm going to go, have you got a Strong's Concordance? You got to get your books. Get your books in your library. Get your books. And then I got to tell you, man, the internet is just so awesome uh, when it comes to things that we used to have to dig. It took hours to dig it up. I mean, you hit search, and there's just so much information, so much you can learn so quickly. Um, But let's look at take pity. The Greek word here indicates that this father is saying to Jesus, when he says to Jesus, take pity, he isn't just saying, have pity on us and help us and let's move on. He's saying, when you study that original language, and I actually wrote the Greek words down here, and I would say them to you, but I don't know how. But I want to tell you what they mean. They mean, I want, he was telling Jesus, listen to this, he was telling Jesus, I want you to feel pity for me and my son in your gut. 
You say, should we say that in church? Yes. Matter of fact, what he said to Jesus is, I want you to feel it in your bowels. I want you to feel it down deep. I want you to not take me lightly and not take my son lightly. Now, he didn't have to tell Jesus that, but Jesus loves that kind of praying. Jesus loves it when we pray like that. And this is saying something to us about our prayer life. Tell Jesus, excuse me. Tell Jesus how you want him to feel about your situation. That's what this father's doing right here. Take it seriously. Lord, please show. Here, here's what he's saying. Show deep pity. Show deep mercy to me and my son. And then he moves on in verse 22 and says, not only do I want you to take pity, but I want you to help us. And the Greek word here for help us is a very interesting word, a very rare word, actually not used very much in the Bible at all, and it means run to me. Run to me. Run to someone who needs help. He, I'm telling you, he was saying, I want you to feel really deep about this, and I want you to hurry. You say, well, I don't feel like I can talk to Jesus like that. Hey, listen, you know what? He wants you to just come to him and pour it all out. If there's any correction to do, he'll teach you how to pray. You just bring it all. He says, help me, run to me. Lord, run and, and, and aid me. It means, it means to run to someone who is calling out. Run to someone who is crying out. It's a beautiful word. And the Father's saying, if you can. I mean, that's sort of an insult right there. And then right on the end of if you can, he says, run to my aid. Help me. So then Jesus responds in verse 23. Everybody with me out there? And Jesus says, if I can. I mean, that's exactly how Jesus said it. Jesus said it kind of like we'd say it, you know. If I can. Here, here's the way we'd have said it today. There, there really needs to be a question mark and an exclamation point at the end of this sentence. If I can. Are you kidding me? <laughs> I mean, you know, I get all human and stuff, and I, I'd want to go, dude, I can levitate you right now. <laughs> you got it? But see, Jesus wasn't into stuff like that. Here's what Jesus was saying. I don't know what y'all do, but I write down I write down, when Jesus says something, and I study it and study and study it, I write down kind of how, how he would have said it if he'd said it, you know, in more detail. I, I think Jesus was saying the very fact that you're here with a demon-possessed boy probably indicates that you've already known about others I've delivered from demon possession. What do you mean if I can? You know what's amazing about us? We talk about the children of Israel, and we're like, he opened the Red Sea for them, and they can't even believe for we're the same way. It's amazing to me the people I encounter, they, they all come to the second service, but <laughs> it's amazing to me the people I encounter who, who God has done miracles for them and they run into a little battle and they have the nerve to look at me and go, I just don't understand what God's doing. I'm just kind of mad at God. Hmm. Help me, Jesus. Jesus was saying, how can you be doubting my ability and my power? 
You've heard of the daily miracles of healing I've been doing. You've heard of the demons that I've delivered or, or the people that I've delivered from demons. When I studied this, I kind of looked at how long Jesus had been in his very community, and he had been in that man's community well over a year doing miracles. Jesus was looking at him going, what do you mean if I can? And then Jesus let it go. And then he moved on to the main lesson of this sermon series in verse 23, the very main lesson, the thing I want you to get. All things are possible, sir, to him who believes. Will you say that with me? All things are possible to him who believes. And him means her, humanity. The heart of the lesson from Jesus to his disciples is the challenge of faith. He was saying to his disciples, do you have the faith to believe I can and will do it when you can't see me? You see, Jesus talked about faith. We're in Mark 9, right? We're in Mark 9. So if we back up to Mark 5 and 6, he talked about faith there. If we move to Mark 10 and 11, he talks about faith there. But in Mark 9, this is a, it's like Jesus is driving down a stake. And for the first time, he is showing the importance of faith in their life. And he is making it a mandate in their life. And the reason for that is because he's going to leave them. And they got to get this. He's like, guys, I'm about to be gone, and you've got to get this. You've got to learn how to access my power even though you don't see me. So you see, it's not an issue of power. It's that they needed to learn how to access the absence of power and make it present by their faith in Jesus Christ. See, what they didn't get, here's what they didn't get is that when Jesus was up on that mountain and they couldn't see him, the power of Jesus was still available to them. Y'all got it? Is Jesus in heaven? We can't see him? The same power is available to us. So we got to believe that. We got to trust that. Well, the father responds in verse 24. The Bible says, immediately the boy's father cried out. And, and when you study that passage, immediately the boy's father cried out. There's so much emotion here. There's so much emotion in this, in this father. And, and, and the father is just crying out. And remember, while this is going on, here's the father standing here. And, and, and here's his boy over here going through this, this seizing. This demon has seized him. Because remember, we studied last week that when Jesus saw the boy, the Bible says it, when Jesus saw the boy, it was like the demon saw Jesus. And remember in our sermon series on who is Jesus, we determined that demons know who Jesus is. Remember that? You know, we, we kind of threw it out there that demons have better theology than some Christians because they know who he is. Or some people. And the Bible says when they locked eyes that that demon seized that boy and slammed him to the ground and he, and he went through all of that rigid and foaming and grinding of the teeth and making noises. So here's this father, here's Jesus right here and here's this boy writhing in, in pain and suffering and Jesus is right there and the, and the father cries out, I do believe, I do believe. Remember Jesus just said, all things are possible to him who believes. So the response of the father is, I do. Because he knew he better. And well, that boy wasn't gonna be. I do believe, I do believe. I want you to see this father. I want you to see, 
I want you to see what he's going through emotionally. I do believe, I do believe, I believe in you, I believe in your power, but then he knew Jesus knew all things. So he said, but I got doubt too. I've also got some doubt and I want to admit that before you and here's what I need to know. Listen to this, this is so moving. It's like the father is looking at Jesus and saying, have I got enough for him? Because really, I just want enough for him. Because I have watched him suffer all these years and I know my faith is lacking and I know my faith is weak, but have I got enough for my boy? You see, all things within God's will are possible. All things that are acceptable to God are possible. Remember that Greek over there. This this guy was saying, run to my unbelief. Run to my unbelief. Run to my doubt. He was saying, God, he was saying to Jesus, listen to this, you parents out there. He was saying, don't let me be the reason he is set free today. Whatever I got to have, help me have it. Whatever level I got to get my faith to, help me get it there. Because my boy, I don't want to see him suffer anymore. I don't want to see him going through pain anymore, so help me. You know what I love about Jesus? He doesn't expect perfection. He just expects your best. He doesn't expect perfect faith. And it would really be pointless for him to expect perfect faith because we can't give it. You know what I love about Jesus? That he takes you where you are. He takes you where you are. You remember Peter Hardison in the Bible? You remember him? (laughs) He often had his foot in his mouth more than he had it on the ground. Amen. Amen. And Jesus came to Peter one day and he said, do you love me? And when Jesus, see, you got to study the Greek to get this. You won't get this just reading your Bible. He was saying, do you agape me? And Peter answered back, Lord, you know I love you, but he didn't use the same word for love. He used love down here. Phileo, or human love, or friendship love. He said, do you love me? Peter said, you know I love you. Here's how it really went. Do you love me up here? I love you down here. So Jesus came back and said, I need to know, Peter, if you love me up here. Peter said, I I love you down here. You know what Jesus did on the third one? Brought his word down to Peter's word. He said, hey, can you give me that? Peter said, that's all I can give you right now. Jesus said, I'll take it. Here's the condition with that though. He requires that that you allow him to put his hands on your life so he can bring that love up. He can bring your love up to his love. Amen, amen, amen. See, that that agape, that's supernatural. You you can't love like that unless you're just surrendered to him and that, that, that power of God is just working through your life. So he doesn't expect perfection. Well, let me let me finish this sermon. <clears throat> I love this next scene. Jesus um, sees the crowd coming because they won't see a miracle. They won't see a show. 
and Jesus sees him coming, I think his reaction here is very, very interesting because he doesn't wait for the crowd to get there. I know most preachers would have went, let's wait just one minute, we'll have a big crowd here in just a minute. Are the cameras here? Not Jesus. See, Jesus isn't attempting to prove anything to the crowd. As a matter of fact, and this is, this is something you need to hear today, and I can't really elaborate on it, but it's very important in understanding who Jesus is. Listen, and in having a correct theology in your life, but I want you to know that the reason Jesus didn't want any publicity is because at this point in his ministry, miracles was not the emphasis. What the emphasis was at this point was teaching his disciples to function in faith when they can't see him. So he didn't wait for the crowd to get there. He acts quickly. When he sees the crowd coming, he reacts quickly. He acts quickly. I love what one writer said that I was reading commentary. That writer said, suddenly everything came out of Jesus at one time. The word of God and the power of God came out of Jesus at one time toward this boy. Look at it. Mark 9, 25. When Jesus saw that a crowd was running to the scene, he rebuked the evil spirit. Right there. He didn't wait for that crowd to get there. The Bible says when he saw them coming, he looked at that boy and he said, You deaf and mute spirit, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. This poor father had dealt with this throughout the entire life of this boy and now at last, in an instant, because Jesus is there and faith is there, Jesus commands this evil spirit to come out of him and never return again. And then there is one final vicious protest by this demon. Look at verse 26. Mark 9, 26. This is talking about what the boy is doing when Jesus commands that demon to come out of the boy This is what it talks about. This is what it says happens to the boy. And after giving a hoarse, clamoring, fear-stricken shriek of anguish. Now that is the Amplified Bible. And if you don't have an Amplified Bible, go get you one. Because it helps you with the Greek. See the brackets around hoarse, clamoring, fear-stricken, It's just helping you understand that Greek words have a lot of meaning, a lot of in-depth meaning. So after giving a hoarse, clamoring, fear-stricken shriek of anguish and convulsing him terribly, the word convulsing there in the original language means multiple convulsions all at one time. It came out. Can I get a little hallelujah right here, right now? It came out. I mean, it took us three weeks to get him out, but we got him out. And the boy lay pale and motionless like a corpse so that many of them said, he is dead. There's always a gomer in the crowd. I believe he's dead. You see him moving? Look what happened. Verse 27, the boy's laying there, he looks dead, he's pale, he's not moving, doesn't even look like he's breathing. Jesus took the boy by the hand. This is what Jesus does when you have nothing. 
This is what Jesus does when you feel like you've lost everything. This is what Jesus does when you feel hopeless. He just comes right down there. He just got right down there where that boy was. He took him by the hand. He said, get up. Now, he didn't say get up in your own power. I believe the same power that the woman with the issue of blood felt when she touched the hem of his garment is the same power that flowed into that boy. And all of a sudden, he takes a deep breath and he rises up in the strength that Jesus gives. I want you to look at that. He took, Jesus took the boy by the hand and raised him up. You need to be raised up today. Do you feel like that boy? He will take you by the hand. He's no respecter of person. Do you need him to take you by the hand today and raise you up? Then ask him, believe him, trust him for that. You have not because you're not asking, you're not believing, you're not trusting. And then it doesn't say it in Mark, but you gotta go to Luke. See, you gotta read what all these boys wrote, all these gospel boys. And Jesus gave the boy back to his father. Wow. The tenderness of my Savior. The tenderness of my Savior. And there's that father. And can you imagine all the emotions? I mean, he probably, when he saw his son down there, he thought, well, I wanted you to deliver him. I didn't want you to kill him. He, he probably thought the boy was dead too. I mean, he's going from, from you know, I just want you to deliver him to, to all these emotions. He didn't know the reaction was going to be the boy just lays there like a dish towel on the ground. So he's going, he doesn't know what's going on. And all of a sudden, Jesus takes him by the hand. And maybe he looks over there at that father and goes, don't, don't, don't fret. Chill. He raises him up. And I just love how he just gives him back to the father. Because see, you think. When you lose something, God just took it away from you. But a lot of times when we lose something, it's because he wants to give us something better back. Mitch has always been stubborn as a mule. Stubborn as a mule. When he was little, he didn't play with toys like everybody else. He played with toys like this. I brought him a truck one time. Hey, son, here's a truck. <laughs> Wheels fell off. Ah, oh, sorry, truck. I said, give it to me. Ah. I said, no, give it to me and I'll, I'll, I'll fix it for you. Mine. Give me that truck. <laughs> and all I wanted to do I'm his father. All I want to do is fix it. Just give it back to him. Some of us don't trust God with our stuff because we're not sure what he's going to do with it. So we just hold on. Let me tell you something about God's will for you. You choose it yourself if you had the good sense to choose it. I don't want to hurt you. He's for you. Isn't against you? There's some people in this place today who need to give him some stuff. Bring the boy to me. Bring the boy to me. Give me that boy. 
You know what I want you to do? We're going to do something really dumb today. I want you to hold your hands in front of you like that. And if you're kind of shy, just hold them down low. I want you to close your eyes, and I want you to think about that thing you won't give to God. I want you to open your hands and say, and just let's say it out loud, here, take this. Here, take this. Let's do it again. Here, take this. Father, help us trust you, Lord. Run to our doubt. Run to our unbelief. Run to our lack of faith. I believe, I believe. I'm like that father, I believe. But God, I really need some help with the areas where I'm doubting. Run to me. Run to us. Help us with our faith. Because like this father, our faith doesn't just affect us. It affects other people around us. Whether we believe or not, whether we trust you or not, whether we release our whole life to you or not, it doesn't just affect us, it affects our children, it affects our spouse, it affects everything around us when we hold on to stuff we ought to give to you. Help us give it to you today. I release it in Jesus' name. Here's what we're going to do, everybody watch me. I'm going to ask some prayer Ministers, if they will, when this service is over, to come up here. If you want prayer to let something go in your life, um, or maybe you want to stand in for somebody who you know they're holding on to something, they need to let something go, let's, let's have some altar time today. And I'll pray with you if I can, but it doesn't, it's not me. It, it isn't whether I pray with you or not. Just, just receive prayer and let's let go of some stuff. And let's have some breakthroughs today before we go home. Amen, amen. Now listen, listen. If you're here for the first time, we have a gift for you. Pick that up. But you can come pray before you pick up your gift. Those of you who are still investigating the things of God, you go to this table and pick up your little packet. And maybe, maybe you're, um, you know somebody who, who needs a little more information on Jesus. Pick up a packet for them and take it to them. Guys, we're so glad y'all came today. We love you and we welcome you to Whitley Church and you're dismissed. God bless you. Thank you. I love you.